0: Well, welcome. So glad that you're here with us. And as you saw on that slide, it's Communion Sunday. And if you did not pick up the elements outside of the sanctuary, now would be a really good time to do that because this morning we're doing things a little different because uh, Pastor Kevin is out of town, so he let all the kids play, uh, <laughs> which is very exciting. My name is Luke Viem, and I am here on staff. I've been here for about a year, and I just want to say thank you Um during this time of COVID and everything, transitions have been really weird. And it can be really difficult to find your place at a church normally. But to find your place at a church during COVID is just an added element of uh, stress and um, wondering how it's going to work. And I just want to say we heard of your reputation, Taylor and Lily and I. But you guys have backed that up with your hospitality with, with your love and the way that you've just welcomed us into your community. So thank you so much for that. Like I said, I am on staff here. Um, right now it's just part time. I work here Sunday mornings uh, doing a lot of background stuff. I make sure all the mics are ready. Uh, I lead the pre-service meeting and then more the time, I'm up in that booth, the, the live stream camera, um, which is a lot of fun and for everyone on live stream, um, we have this QR code. Uh, as a way to have some engagement with you because we want to know what your experience is like. It's really easy to get feedback here in the room, um, but you are a vital member of our congregation, of our community. So we want to, to hear what your experience has been. So it's a little tricky to do this if you're watching on your phone. My suggestion would be to take a screenshot or if it's on your TV to pull out your phone and uh, open up your camera and uh, open up this QR code. It will lead you to a brief survey. So when I'm not here uh, Sunday mornings, the rest of my time is consumed uh, in, with seminary. Right now, I am a student at Denver Seminary on their online program, trying to get my MDiv degree. I'm almost halfway done, and it's been great. You see, I love to study. I love to get into like the nitty-gritty details of the Bible. Uh been working on the original languages and the historical and the political context of first central century Palestine, which... I find fascinating when I'm in the right attitude. There are other times when I'm not in the right attitude where I can be like, why does this even matter? (laughs) Like this happened 2,000 years ago. I I believe the Bible is inspired and valuable, but sometimes that nitty gritty, I can feel like the kid in math class just frustrated blurting out from the back of the room, I don't care what X is. I'm never going to need this in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can struggle with that, with my studies, and you can also experience that on Sunday mornings. We can also have this feeling of how do these stories from 2,000 years ago apply to us now? Um, what can we learn from Paul? What, what by researching these stories... Is it more than just stories? Does this have something to say to us now? And I firmly believe that it does. So the text we're looking at this morning is from Acts 24, and before I read it, I want to give us all the like the 30-second recap of where we are. We've been following Paul as he's gone on these adventure missions uh, to bring the gospel to places who haven't heard it, and also to return to churches that he would encourage the believers in Jerusalem by giving money so that they could eat. Um, so it's in that that Paul was returning to Jerusalem to give that money back, um, and that's why he was so passionate about delivering it himself. As, as we saw earlier, that there are all these prophets who are saying, like, if you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna you're gonna be arrested. You're gonna go to jail. And Paul's like, I am just too passionate to give what has been given to me back to the church. So I'm going to go, even if it costs me imprisonment. Which is exactly what happened. He was in the temple, there were some believers there are from Jews from Ephesus that were like, We know this guy, he hangs out with Gentiles. He must have brought one into the temple. So they mobbed him. And they were gonna kill him. But the, the Romans came, they protected him. They were like, What is this guy doing causing all this this uproar? And they were getting ready to to beat him and imprison him, but he's like Paul was like, I'm I'm a Roman citizen, is it okay for you guys to do this to me? And they're like Nope, we're not we're not going to touch you now. Uh and so it was from that that Paul was kind of leveraging his citizenship to be able to speak another word to the crowd. And when he did that, they got angry again, and he was put into prison so for his own protection. And we just saw last week how the the tribune Lysias heard a story about how he was going to be killed as he was going to be transferred to go before the Jews in Jerusalem. And Lysias knows that if a, a prisoner under his watch is killed, that it's his head also. So that's when he gathered all these, these soldiers, these spearmen, these horsemen, to ride him up to Caesarea to, to meet with the, the governor there, Felix. Um, and that is where our story leads us. And this story is about Paul getting stuck. He's been really fruitful in ministry. He, he's been going through all these adventures, and it's at this moment where the story slows down. I don't know if you look back at your own story. Have there ever been moments where it's slowed down for you, where you feel like everything was going so smoothly, success, uh, and then suddenly you hit a roadblock. Something stops. I want you to be thinking about that as I read the text. So it's from Acts 24. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They looked for the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix... Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. In his words of the Nazarene, he even tried to profane the temple. But we seized him, we stopped him. And by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we have accused him. And then the rest of the Jews joined in the charge, affirming that all these things that were said were true. And when the governor had nodded to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it was not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both men and God. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, and you know, they ought to be before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood up before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, then I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was seceded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. See, right now we're going to walk through the big movements of this text. Just highlight them a little bit. And then see what lessons that we might be able to learn for ourselves. Sound good? So let's go. The first stop is the accusations. And this is um, the first nine, nine verses. You see, a group has assembled against Paul. There's the high priest. There's the elders. And then there's this spokesman, Tertullus, who is probably a, a very skilled orator. And now the Jews were trying to show a unified front. To Felix, they were hoping that if it was obvious that all the Jews were against Paul, then Felix might want to do them a favor by getting Paul out of the way, so that they wouldn't cause any more trouble for Felix. They wouldn't have any uprisings or pushing against what Rome was doing. They were trying to play the political game. And what Tert- Tertullus says about Felix—that that little bit of um, buttering him up—best, it's. High- At worst, it's blatant lies, just to curry some favor. Because you see, the historian Josephus said that Felix kept the peace in Palestine by killing tons of Jews, that he had that iron fist of a ruler. And like, Tertullus knew this, but he was just buttering him up, trying to uh, curry some favor. (sighs) And so, after the flattery, Tertullus makes three main charges against Paul. That he stirs up riots. Everywhere he goes, he stirs up riots. That he's a ringleader of an illegitimate religious sect, and that he tried to profane the temple. These accusations are made to show that Paul was a danger to society at large. And while he was ethnically Jewish... His beliefs would have lined with their historic traditions. And so, instead of being punished by Rome, he backed to the Jews so they could religious discipline. But their goal wasn't religious discipline. Their goal was to kill Paul on the road. See, they're, they're making a lot of partial claims with the hopes of getting what they want. At this point, when Tertullus is done talking, all the Jews raise up their voice and started to make a cacophony of, yeah, this is true, this is what he did. But uh, uh, Felix calms him down, and he motions to Paul to stop to, to make his defense. And that's the second stop we see Paul's defense. Paul is much more brief in his kind words to Felix. He still says them because that's the the tradition that he was in to so by keep. See, Paul is determined to speak the truth, but the truth. He he knows he didn't raise a commotion in Jerusalem. He was happily minding his own business for almost two weeks before anything started, and there was no proof that he was the one who started it. He does admit to being a member of a different religious order, but he argues that that is fully in line with the hope of Judaism, that he is not a ringleader of illegitimate sect. His, his conviction in line with all Judaism is that there will be a future resurrection of both the unrighteous and the Righteous. And because he believes that, he, since he believes that his momentary actions will have eternal consequences, that there will be a resurrection and judgment will be made, he keeps his conscience clean. He doesn't lie. He, he doesn't cause these commotions that people are saying against him. And then against his, uh, their charge against his actions in the temple... <clears throat> He appeals to the Roman law that's already established that if there's an accusation to be made, it needs to be made face to face. And he looks around, who's Ephesian Jews that started this riot who think they have something wrong against me? They're not even here. This shows how weak the argument the Jews' case really is against them, that they're not even bringing their their chief witnesses because they know there's no case against Paul. Paul knows He shouldn't have anything to fear because he has done nothing wrong. And nothing of any substance was presented against him. He defines why he is on trial, which is not breaking any laws, and that is that there will be a resurrection from the dead. And we saw that in the past couple weeks. And it really doesn't warrant this attention that he's getting. After Paul is done talking, we see Felix's judgment. Or rather, it's a, a delay of judgment. <laughs> See, Felix knows the way. He, he's a pretty savvy political leader. Um, he's signed long enough to major players are, and he's heard about this religious sect that's called the way, the follower of, of Jesus, Christians. And he, he doesn't want to get into their mess of religious differences. And so he doesn't make a judgment just yet. See, he his official stance is he's he's waiting for Lysias, and this is the tribunal from Jerusalem that brought Paul to to Caesarea. He wants to hear an impartial side of the story, which is is really wise, actually. So when Paul was placed into house arrest. He, he was given a certain amount of liberty. Liberty so that his friends could come and visit him. They could supply his needs. They can make sure he's fed and is able to, to do all the things that he wants to while staying under house arrest. But what we never hear is Lysias coming. We never hear of that conversation. We don't know if it ever happened. And we don't really hear anything official of what Felix has to say. What we see is Paul stuck in judicial limbo. And what we do see from Felix is that he decides to visit Paul. And the next stop is his continual visits because this happened over the period of at least two years. See, Felix and his Jewish wife Drusilla, they wanted to hear about Paul's faith. They they were curious um, who is this guy that causes so much trouble wherever he goes? And Paul is more than happy to share. And he goes into way more detail than he would have at the trial. The three points to Paul's message are righteousness, self-control, and the future resurrection. Felix is really troubled by this message, and that could be for a lot of reasons. I think a lot of people get nervous, get a little fearful when they hear that there's going to be a future judgment for their actions. Uh, it doesn't feel good to feel like there's someone always watching you, waiting for you to do something wrong that actions now have eternal consequences. And without a doubt Paul would have also explained how one is justified by the works of Christ, but the message that sticks into the minds of those without Christ is that of coming judgment. That's alarming. So Felix dismisses Paul. He says, "I've heard enough. I, I'll I'll talk to you later." But Paul can but he continues to visit Paul. We find out though that he may have had some divided motives. I think he did want to hear more of what Paul had to say, but he heard about Paul and all the money that he raised and brought to Jerusalem, and he's hoping to line his pockets a little bit. He's hoping that by allowing all of his friends to continue to visit Paul, maybe some of them will bring some money to him, and in the hopes of getting Paul out so he can continue on his ministry. But that, that never happens, um, and from there, the last verse, we see the results. This limbo goes on for two years. If Felix isn't going to get his payout, at least holding on to Paul will make the Jewish leaders happy for a little bit. Felix is in a win-win situation, and he's happy to stay that way. But Paul Paul is left sitting, wondering what has become of him, and he's waiting for justice. See, I have two, two lessons from this text um, for us this morning, and it's all around that idea of being stuck and waiting, wondering what's going on. I have two two metaphors, two word pictures. Uh, the first is when our lives come to a grinding halt. And the, the picture that I have is when there's sand clogging the gears. Um, when there's sand in the gears of machinery, it makes it stop. You hear that crunching sound, and everything stops. For two years, Paul sits and does nothing productive. Here's a guy who's used to going on adventures, to preaching the word, to to meeting challenges head-on and conquering them and moving forward, being moved by God's hand to go where he knows he's supposed to go. And now there's nowhere to go. Nothing to do. And I think we've all been in seasons like this which is really tough. When we go from action, productivity, excitement, to something much more mundane, ordinary, and simple. It might be after you got this dream dream job that you've just been working so hard to get, and then when you get there, not a dream job anymore. There's managers there that are looking after you. The the boss has expectations. Or the work is just really, really boring. You're like, How did I get here? Maybe it's after having kids. And you're you're hoping that these little bundles of joy would bring fulfillment and excitement, but you realize it's mostly just changing a lot of diapers. That's not very exciting. That's not a lot of fun. Maybe you've been planning on doing something. Planning with God, having this plan, but suddenly things just start falling out from underneath you. And you feel like your life has grinded to a halt. Take some comfort. Because Paul has been there. This is where we see him. And remember that God still used Paul during this time of his life. You see, during this imprisonment and the imprisonments to follow, we're pretty sure that that's when Paul wrote quite a few of his epistles. Quite... A bit of our Bible is because of Paul's unproductive time. Don't discount how God may use you when you feel you're at a standstill. The second lesson that I have is from, is a metaphor from the tech world, and that's about features and bugs. Now, we've all been on apps for long enough to know when they're not working right. When we click on something and it's supposed to take us to this website but it takes us to that website and then there's all those moments when we have to re- not re-download the update. You see that's um that's the world of bugs. Bugs are when a program working how it's intended that it's disruptive. You're ex- was supposed to go this way but another way. And features are those things that are highlighted. They're the things that make the experience really nice and it flows so smoothly. And a lot of time if the features are really good You won't use them. Disruption like Paul was experiencing could have been looked at as a bug. Sitting in prison for about two years, what's going on? This has to be a disruption into the mission of God. This can't be how things are supposed to work. Paul's ministry life is coming to an end here. He's going to be on lockdown here, and then he's going to appeal to go to Caesar. He's going to get shipwrecked. He's going to go into another house arrest. He's going to go before the emperor, plead his case, get released, but only for a short time before being imprisoned again and this time executed for his faith. Surely that type of hardship, hardship like that, isn't part of God's plan. I mean, God's plan for us, isn't it supposed to be an abundant life? One that's sweet and easy and fruitful because after all, he is the king and he has overcome the world. But remember that that victory came through hardship. See, Jesus had to endure suffering of his own. Now the, the author Luke of both the gospel and of Acts has crafted Paul's story at this time so that it overlaps onto Jesus' story, so that we can see how Jesus was responding when he was captured and put on trial. Paul is going through those same steps now. See, Paul is still on the mission of God. And that mission is of suffering and hardship. And that, those aren't bugs. Those are features they are part of God's design, even when we can't notice it. Jesus' suffering, his trial, his death, and his future resurrection are not bugs to the gospel story. They're the feature of the gospel story. They don't detract. They're the highlight. While we may be prone to lament times of our lives, is using them, his story, our suffering, our hardship, the sand in the gears of our lives that make it come to a halt are all the means that God is using to show off the wonders of his gospel of grace if we allow him to, if we see beyond the moment of these temporary chains, seeing what could happen millennia from now. Just like Paul using his words, the words he was speaking, the words that he was writing, If that could be our lives too, how might our attitudes be different? See, if you're struggling right now, if you feel like you're in that time that everything has come to a halt and all you see are the bugs of suffering and hardship, take heart because God is using that to tell His gospel in your life. Will you partner with Him to share that story? I've been, in my short life, there have been times when I have felt that my life has come to a complete halt. And I've wondered, God, what is what is going on? Well, I thought you had called me to something more than this. But it was during that time that God was working in me and in a much smaller circle of friends that never would have happened without that time. So I'm going to invite Grant and Allison to come up. They're going to lead us in a time of communion. And I just want to leave you with this. Look beyond the bread and the cup that we're going to have. See the suffering and pain that they represent to us, the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And I would like to invite you to think of them as the feature of our time together, not a bug in our service.
1: Yeah, thank you, Luke. Good morning, church. Um, this is the first Sunday of the month when we choose to take communion together. Um, whether you're watching online or with us in person, uh, this is our time to remember our persecuted friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we have the elements here for you in the, in the back of the sanctuary, or if you're at home, feel free to grab whatever you have available. Um, before I get started, I want to save you guys some frustration and teach you how to open up these little contraptions. <laughs> So there's a tab here, and if you go down, it should click. There. Click. And then you'll see a little plastic tab to open up the top, which is your bread. Then you can open up the bottom for the juice. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> all right. So we invite all people to join us in this communion meal who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have the incredible privilege of living a redeemed life. Although we still make mistakes, we know that they no longer create eternal distance for us from God. But instead, our sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, paid the price of his own flesh and blood to atone for our sins, which gave us life redeemed. Isaiah 53 reminds us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his stripes we were healed. Church, let's take a moment together to bow our heads and our hearts. Let's thank Jesus for his body, broken for you. Thank him for his blood poured out for you. Before we take communion, let's take a moment to confess our sins to him. Come to him with a clean and pure heart. Let nothing separate you from his presence right now. Let's take a moment. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Let's pray Lord we honor your sacrifice today and every day until you return we proclaim your death and resurrection we proclaim freedom for the captives the release from darkness for the prisoners Lord we proclaim we proclaim that your stripes have already healed us we thank you Jesus for life redeemed and we walk in your freedom today in Jesus name we pray amen
2: So Pastor Kevin needed help with the message today. He needed a smart person to go through the text, to, through Luke's words, so naturally he thought of Luke. And then he needed someone uh, to talk about how Paul is constantly getting in trouble and talk about life applications, so he thought that I would probably know something about that. I don't know why, but... So as I was preparing to speak... Um, I was eager to discuss the significance of, uh, of Paul's courage and his defense of the faith. But as I kept re-reading the, the passage, I kept getting stuck on another character, on this governor, Felix, and his response to Paul's uh, three-point sermon that he gave him. And uh, it kind of broke my heart, because I kept seeing myself in Felix's response to the gospel. So we look at verse 25. This is when uh, Felix is rejecting. He's sending Paul away after he hears the gospel. He's physically and spiritually moved by the gospel message, but continues to put off surrendering to God because it's bad timing for him. Yeah, he was looking for a bribe too, but he was presented. The gospel and he was rejecting. This is spiritual procrastination. Spiritual procrastination has been killing people for a long time. God put Felix in this amazing situation. He sent his messenger in the world to his doorstep. Perfect message with perfect, God had his hand open for Felix with a free gift he just had to take it. and Felix chooses to wait we too often have words from the lord that we just make sit in the waiting room without responding the waiting room is often a place where opportunities given by god go to die I encourage you to search your heart for areas that you have subconsciously told not to talk to you about. One of the main reasons why I felt like the Lord was um, asking me to do young adult ministry right now is because of spiritual procrastination and the way I've seen that in so many of my peers, especially in the college age years. I've got many friends that grew up in the church They know the truth. They know the gospel. But they found it so easy to delay showing God true devotion until it was a more convenient time. This isn't just for college students. It's for everyone. We all make excuses. I'm guessing that there's many people in this room that could accurately say something like this. God, I'm sorry I I have chosen to lodge myself into an environment that's not conducive to me being fully obedient to you. As soon as I get out of this environment, I'm all yours. So I ask, what gifts from God are you putting off or temporarily refusing because it's not convenient for you right now? I'm not talking about carpe diem. I'm not talking about your to-do lists. I'm not talking about the power of saying yes. I'm talking about being obedient to Christ the King. I understand that there's nuances of how God speaks to us and guides us. And sometimes it feels like he's partnering with us on how we uh, go about what he's, what he's trying to guide us into. But it's not going to stop me from saying to you right now, if God is convicting you, you need to listen and obey immediately. Luke 9, the end of the chapter. We all know these verses because they're hard to deal with. Jesus shows us that obedience is very serious to him. He demands our full attention. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, faces death. He encounters several voices that desire to follow him, but they have different priorities. You remember these verses of the people coming up to him and saying, I'm I'm coming, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. And he said, right, let's go. He says, okay, just let me go take care of my dad first. Just let me go say bye to my family first. Jesus makes it real clear. That's just not how it works. And those seem like really good excuses, but in that moment, Jesus is demanding yes or no. Are you in or out? I'll just end with one more scripture. Hebrews 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for four years they saw what I did. Obeying immediately. I know we've shared this a couple times, but, and Allison just shared it a few weeks ago before we left for Africa. A strong word from the Lord go. We didn't feel like we had any part in organizing that plan. It was go. Allison was another baby. But we packed up. We left immediately. It was one of the best decisions we ever made. Is that spiritual procrastination is killing many of us. There will never be a better time to surrender to Jesus than right now. So let us be a generation that becomes known for prioritizing the Lord above all else. Will you stand with me? We'll pray and then we'll enter into worship. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we surrender to you. We're going to make room for you, Lord. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, we're going to surrender to you.